0: For those, uh, for those who weren't here last week, let me give a little little recap. Last, uh, first of all, for those who are visitors, we uh, typically here at Austin New Church, we just go through books of the Bible when we're speaking. Every once in a while, we'll kind of hit pause on that and, and do a topical series. But for the most part, we just go through books of the Bible. And so right now, we're going through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we are in, uh, we're in chapter 4. And so last week, we kind of did part 1 of chapter 4. This week, we'll, we'll close that out. But where we started last uh, last week, just to give a little bit of a recap, is that Solomon, um, he he gets to this point of despair and he recognizes that the world that that he lived in. And we we realize uh, the world that we live in is really made up of five different types of people. And um, those types of people are uh, those who are oppressing people or the oppressors. But Solomon doesn't spend very much time talking about the oppressors. He just kind of states they're a fact, they're a reality, and they happen. So if you've got oppressors, then you obviously have those who are being oppressed. And so, again, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about them except saying that they are in need of a neighbor. They are in need of somebody or a people to come and comfort and rescue them and to, uh, the word actually used, to suffer with, to go into proximity and be with them. So he talks about them. Then he segues from there into these three other types of people. And he uses the idea of hands, basically. And he's talking about the posture of the way these people live their life. And what we figured out uh, as a response to the oppression that happens in the world. And the first two he talks about are those who, who fold their hands. And what we learned was that the idea of the folding of the hands with the word that's used there is this... This idea of saying, I I recognize that God has given me all of these abilities and resources and talents. But when I look at the world as it is, when I look at my life as it is, I realize I can't do everything. Therefore, I'm going to do nothing. And they kind of tap out, fold the hands, and uh, they just kind of become a waste. But again, he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about that. He just, again, he states that as a fact. Then he goes into two other types of people that the rest of the, the rest of chapter 4 either points back towards and, and defines or, or points towards. And the first one is that we spent a lot of time talking on last week was the self-seeking person. The person who kind of looks at the world as it is and says, man, I can't fix that, so I'm going to turn inward and I'm going to focus on myself. Now, what's interesting about that is... That this person, anytime Solomon will describe him or define him after using the, uh, the clenched fist deal uh, definition, always defines him in individualistic terms. He's always looking at what he can do for himself. And he will continually go back to this idea. Then he defines this, this person who lives uh, with open hands. The, the word is uh, exposed palm and he is someone who lives for the good of other people. He is a self-sacrificing person. What's interesting about that is that after he defines him with that term, never again does he define him in an individualistic light. He always defines that person, after that one definition, in in communal terms. Almost as if to say, you can't be a self-sacrificing person if you live outside of the idea of real gospel community. And so that's what we kind of want to get into today is, is, is this idea of what Solomon talks about uh, in, in the realm of community. But I want you to understand something. Um, the Bible, this is not the only place, obviously, the Bible defines community. And there are other descriptives of what community is. But we want to just focus on, to stay, stay true to the text, we want to just focus on the things that Solomon is talking about. Because he's really talking about how when a community functions a certain way, it becomes a response to the oppressed in our world. Okay, And so, this just so happens, we didn't plan it this way. Uh, for those who might be visiting, we have things here we call restore groups. Those are, if you've been to other churches, those are your home groups, your community groups. Um, and during the, during the summer, just because everybody's life seems to be in flux... Because of vacation or, or kids are running all over the place at, at home, uh, our our restore groups are kind of eh, they might run on skeleton crews or uh, they're just they're a lot more fluid than what they may be. But we're we're coming back into that season where um, the, the the groups they're, they're going to be fuller and they're going to be functioning more together. And so here's here's my challenge for you today is that if you are a part of restore group or even another community outside, that you would um, maybe look at today as as a reminder, um, because here 's what I know I know that's, that a lot of you this is just going to be a refresher. a lot of you get this if, if you 're in a restore group um, but but if you don 't get this, just just look at this as a, as a challenge to, to begin to live life in in community within the world that we live so here 's what I kind of think uh, where, where we want to go today is that we live in the West and obviously and the, the West is. Um, we are big doers. We want to get it done. We want to check the box and then we want to move on. Okay. Um, that, that's really hard to do in areas of life that, that, uh, that's more like a journey, not a box that you check. Does does that make sense? Like, like, so we dumb things down, we dumb things down and say, okay, I did this. I'm, I'm on my way. And it makes us feel like we're actually doing something that we're not. And just not, not to be too heavy, but it's kind of like, kind of like salvation, See, here's the reality. There's a lot of people today who think they're saved that aren't. And here's here's why. Because somebody sold them that if they just say a prayer, if they just confess Jesus with their mouth, they're fine. They're good. And so they they do the confession deal. They answer the altar call or whatever. And then they go out and salvation has no impact on the rest of their life. But they're living this shallow definition of salvation. thinking I'm saved because I did the deal. I checked the box and now I'm going to go on. But the truth is, the Bible never... in in totality, talks about salvation as a one-time experience. The Bible says that we are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. It is a journey. And so to think that we just check a box and we move on and we're fine is not the way the Bible portrays salvation at all. Well, I think we do this with community. I think every human being longs at a deep level to be accepted, to be loved, and to be known for who they really are by others around them. But here's the deal with that. That costs. It costs a lot. It costs transparency. It costs pride. It costs individualism. To let my guard down to be accepted or to accept someone who is very different than me. And so the way we have typically dealt with that is we have been very successful in the U.S. and the West in general... At creating experiences that allow us to feel like we're in community without the cost of community. Does, does that make sense? It's like, I mean, right? And so, I mean, just think about it. anything we. We Not anything, but most everything we buy today, one of the big ploys, one of the big selling techniques is if you buy this, if you purchase this, you become part of this community, part of this family. You get to feel like you're a part of something. If you go buy a new Chevrolet, you're going to get a letter in the mail that says, welcome to the Chevrolet family. But we all know that's not family. Right? You just help them make their bottom dollar. You're not part of a family. But we dumb it down so we can feel like, I mean, Facebook, right? Yeah, I mean, it just, those are my friends. I haven't talked to them since 12th grade, but they're my friends. And so we, when we, then we look and we're like, look, I got 600 friends. I'm I'm in a, you're not in a community. So we, and, you know, and then we, we could even go deeper. Some, some, in, in America, we've even structured the way we live. We've got these things called, called subdivisions. Now, I, I understand there's some legitimate communities in subdivision, but, but for some of us who really don't want to let that down, we move into these areas to make us feel like we belong. And, and so we build our relationships on the idea of living next to someone in these shallow conversations about people's yards, but we never go deep into those places that cost us. And community costs. And so I want to look at what Solomon might be challenging us today um, on how to live deeper into community okay so the i i kind of picked out five things there might be six or seven there might be actually less than this and so i might be being redundant but that's okay um so here are the things starting number one what is community according to ecclesiastes four is number one a people where everyone contributes to the good of the community a people where everyone that should have been the highlighted word Where everyone contributes to the good of the community. Just real quick. A few of you. Why is that important for everyone to contribute to the good? Any ideas? Burnout? That's good. Yeah. Resentment by the ones who are contributing? Really good. Really good. Got a little jam going on. Say that again. Yes. Very good. Yeah, exactly. Did you guys hear that? When you don't offer what you have, uh, not everyone else gets to benefit from from the very stuff that God has given you to con- contribute. Anything else? Ooh, that was good. All parts make a whole. Isn't that exactly isn't that exactly what Paul tells us when he defines the church? He defines the church as a body. And he, and he says, and I'm going to paraphrase, that if the entire body, if all the parts aren't functioning, then the body isn't healthy, right? That's exactly what we're saying. If not all the parts of the community are not functioning together for the good of the community, then you might have a Bible study every week. You might be able to serve people once a month, but you're not community. You're not really in community. You're not really developing community until you come to this place where everybody contributes to the common good for each other. You know, you know what else that does? It's kind of a side note. Is uh, if, if you're a person who maybe struggles with, with pride and thinking you're the deal and you've got, you've got everything, what that forces you to do is see God's image and value in other people that you might not have in yourself. And it puts everybody on the same playing field. Knowing that this thing doesn't function together, doesn't function right until we're all given our best to it. I'll tell you, here, here, let me, I'll give an example of when, when you're like, when you're studying scripture is, I, I do, I like to get up here and I like to talk. I love to study scripture on my own, but I always learn more about the Bible when the Bible is opened up to conversation, because it makes me submit to the idea that God is going to talk to you just as much as he's going to talk to me, and I begin to get a fuller understanding of what Scripture is. Did you know, really, the idea of me studying the Bible by myself is a very recent deal. Up until the printing press, to to study the Bible, that was something you did in community, and you learned from each other. So when we realize that we contribute to the good, and that everyone has to do that, then community starts to form, and we get to crush that thing called co-dependency. Um, the second one is this: a people where everyone takes responsibility for each other. What do you think that means? Because we can take that too far. What do you What do you think that means? A people who who take responsibility for each other. Yeah, there you go. Accountability. Anybody? Huh? Very good. Help carry the load. When when a community is made up of people who take responsibility for each other, what they've done is they become the opposite of the self-seeking person. The self-seeking person turns in and says, I'm gonna take responsibility for me. But a community where people take responsibility for each other, they turn outward and say, I'm gonna take responsibility for you. Now, here's what we wanna do. We wanna say, but I'm the person that needs somebody to help take care of me. That's what we wanna do, right? Right? And then when I become like so-and-so, then I'll take responsibility for someone else. Here's the deal. If everybody has the same mentality that we all take responsibility for each other, then you don't have to worry about you because other people are. It makes us take our eyes off of ourselves. Here's, I'm not not promoting this guy's ideology, but I thought it was a good quote. I was reading some light reading, and uh, I saw this quote by Karl Marx. And he says this from each according to his abilities, to each according to his needs. Now, we know what he's doing. He's, he's defining a society that he's going to, he wants to or believes needs to be forced on people, and we know that doesn't work. But the idea of from each according to his abilities and to each according to his needs doesn't sound very different than, do you remember the way Luke defines or describes the church in Acts 2 and Acts 4? They were a people who began to not look inward, but look out into their community, find people in need, right? They, they, they recognized the people in need in their community, and they began to distribute their wealth so that they could elevate those people out of need, to which the Bible defines it this way, that there were no needy among them. I, I can't fathom that. But that's how much they believe. I believe that's what happens when the Holy Spirit takes root in a people and he begins to bind them together and they become one because they begin to recognize that if you are in need, that means I'm in need. That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. That your need becomes my need and therefore I have to take responsibility for it. The next one is this. um, A people who submits to one another. Any idea on what that might mean? Being what? Vulnerable. That's really good. Humility. Yeah. Humility. Absolutely. Very good. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You're lifting people, because here's what, here's what you're doing. When I submit, and I'm, I'm not just, you know, not, not like every decision. I've got to go to the bathroom. I've got to ask everybody. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, the idea, here, here's the idea. When you can really get to the point where you submit to different people in, in your group or in your community, here, here's what you're saying. You're saying, I realize, because God has knit us so close together, that the decisions I make in life don't affect just me. Now they do if we're just a bunch of individuals that get together for a Bible study. But if you've submitted yourself to community, what you recognize is I've been so infused with these people that the decisions that I make in my life for me don't just impact me, but they impact the rest of the community. And since like number one, I'm supposed to contribute to the greater good, I've got to begin to see how the decisions I make affect the community for the greater good. So I'm going to trust that the holy spirit it's why it's okay it's like this it's why god in 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 acts doesn't just call one man to lead the church he calls he calls elders and they submit to each other and you remember i think it's in acts 15 they have the first council and 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 this group thinks they need to do the uh that all gentiles need to become like jews and this group thinks no, no no they don't need to do that not one man made a call They all got together and they submitted their ideas together. They brought it before the Holy Spirit, trusting that the same Holy Spirit that was in the one person who wanted to make the call was the same Holy Spirit that was in everybody else, and he would direct them to the right decision. So everybody submits to everybody. In in Ephesians 5.21, Paul actually writes a letter to the church, and he actually uses the phrase, not just submit to your elders, but submit to each other and the word there is it's it's talking about that of a will not being you can't be forced into this but it's when you make a decision when the group makes a decision to mutually together place yourself under each other so a people who submits to one another the next one is this a community is a people who sustain each other any ideas on that one Yeah, huge. Encouragement. Anybody else? Somebody say something? Provision. That's good. That's really good. See, here's the deal. Have you all ever walked through a time in life where your relationship with God is dry? You just feel like he can't hear you no matter how much you do, no matter how much you sacrifice, no matter how much you pray, he's just not there Have you ever done that alone? That's a very lonely place to be. See, community refuses to allow people to go through that alone. See, here's what I I can't promise you. I can't promise you that after you walk out today, your relationship with God is always going to be just phenomenal and amazing. But what I can promise you is that if you'll submit yourself, if you'll commit to real gospel community, when you go through those times of dryness, those around you will lift you up and help carry you through that place. The next one is this. A people who protect each other. Community is a people who protect each other. Let me just say this and then we'll go on to the next ones. Um, I know none of you guys have ever dealt with secret sins. Right? Right? nobody. Um, you, know, you know the weird thing about secret sins is that we use the phrase deal with them because they are ongoing. It's like it's hard to get over. You know why? Because we bought into a lie that this is my sin and I have to get over it on my own. And if I let other people know, then they're going to think different than me. But here's, here's, that's just the lie of Satan. The deal is when I actually become transparent and I let other people know, they know because see, here's the thing about, about deception, it's deception, it deceives you. You don't know what's happening or what might necessarily tempt you and you might be able to make an excuse for yourself when you're wrestling with something but if you submit it to real community, you have people watching out for you who might not be struggling with the same thing and they carry you through that until it's gone. When you look through the scriptures, here's what's interesting about community is that uh, God never, works through an, a man, an individual, an island to himself completely. Even from the beginning, when God created the heavens and earth, he said, let who? Let us. Even our one God is community. So from the, from the very start, when we are supposed to model God, the picture we have is this God, this one God who is actually three parts working so closely together that they be, they're one. Then God makes... Man, and he makes one man, and God looks down and he sees that the one man is what? He, he is alone, and he says for the first time in the Bible that being alone is, is not good. And so he makes community. We get to Abraham, and God calls Abraham, and it's just Abraham and Sarai, and they go on their journey, and the vision doesn't begin to happen until what? Until a community is birthed. Then we get, to, we get to the New Testament and we have the famous prayer in John 17. And the, here's what the prayer is. The prayer is not, God help them go build these awesome churches. The prayer is not, God raise up amazing charismatic leaders that will draw people to themselves in hopes they'll point them to me. The prayer is not, help them create amazing children's ministry so parents don't have to raise their kids, but too soon. Okay. But here's, here's what he says. He goes, help them be one just as we are one. He says, create a community. Create a community that models us, the, communi- the community God, to the world. And then we get into the, the life of the church, and that's what we see. Some, some people are highlighted, Barnabas, uh, Paul, Paul. Apollos, all these different people. But if you really go back and study, here's what you find about these people. They always have community around them. Real community. One point, Paul even says, and I told Peter to his face. Well, that's offensive. No, that's what community does. Because they can sometimes see the problems you don't see and they want to build you up. You have no record after that that there's any tension between Paul and Peter. It seems like they got something that we don't get. So here's the question for the rest of the blanks. Why does God choose to use community? What is his purpose in that? Number one, community is God's plan. I don't think I spaced this right. Community is God's plan to comfort and rescue the oppressed and those living in sorrow and suffering. Community is God's plan to comfort and rescue the oppressed and those living in sorrow and suffering. For those who were here last week, and if you weren't, if you read back up to the the first part of the text, you have the oppressed crying out, Solomon says. And when he, when he listens to them, here's what their cry is. Their cry is that they have no one to come rescue them and comfort them. In other words, they're not in community. They don't have a neighbor. The word comfort there is the word compassion, which means to suffer with. They don't have a group of people around them that will suffer with them, that will take up their cause and lead them out of oppression. Now, that that's qualifies a lot there because here's what that's not saying. It's not saying that community is a group of people that God uses to run into a different area of town or the world, do a project and leave, even though those things aren't bad. But that's not community. But God's desire is that he would build a community that would go to those who are other than them, who are oppressed, who are lonely, who live in suffering and sorrow, and not just try to fix them, but call them in to their community. And make them part of it. And take responsibility for them. Two. Have, have you ever noticed most of our pseudo communities are made up of people just like us? No wonder we all agree. That's never what you see in scripture. I and mean, look at the disciples. That's a, that's a mixed up batch right there. Can you imagine what would happen if you went to those who are other than you, who are suffering, who are in sorrow, who are oppressed, and you invited them in and you brought them up to they were on the same level as you? So that means this is dangerous. You are submitting to them like they're submitting to you. That's scary. Bonhoeffer says this, The exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from everyday Christian life, in community may actually oh, sorry, the exclusion of the weak and insignificant, the seemingly useless people from everyday Christian life, in community may actually mean the exclusion of Christ. The Christian community should not be governed by self-justification, which violates others, but by justification, by grace, which serves others. Once individuals have experienced the mercy of God in their lives, from then on, they desire only to serve. The proud throne of the judge no longer lures them. Instead, they want to be down among the wretched and the lowly because God found them there. Number two, community is God's plan in healing our brokenness. You know, Scripture tells us, when it defines community, it says that we are supposed to mourn with those who mourn. Not, not, just, not just feel bad. Not just sympathy. Sympathy. We're to mourn. It's supposed to hit us at a gut level. And here's the funny thing about that. You can't, have you ever tried to make yourself feel bad for somebody? You know, you really want to, maybe even if you maybe do the fake tears. You just, you can't make yourself feel bad for somebody. You can't make yourself mourn with those who mourn. But when you have, when you have injected yourself into real community and you see them as part of you, when they begin to hurt, guess what? you begin to hurt also. You begin to, as the Bible says, you begin to suffer with those who suffer or even to go further as an, as an action. The Bible says that we are to carry each other's burdens. See, here's, here's the thing about healing is that no matter what the healing need is, whether it's, whether it's abuse, neglect, loneliness, something from your past, something from a past marriage, that has left you broken inside, the deal is that brokenness will never be healed outside of the bonds of community. You will always be left to deal with it alone. And sometimes that scares us because that takes vulnerability and it it seems that it was the very vulnerability that hurt us in the first place. But man, it's it's, it's when those winters of life come at you, that you have people to surround you and keep you warm as you deal with those things that haunt you. Community is God's plan in transforming us into his likeness. Community is God's plan in transforming us into his likeness. Here's, I've, I've learned this just by looking at scripture. You know the one thing that keeps me from being made more and more into his likeness? It's sin. It's what it is. The thing that keeps you from being made more and more into the likeness of God is sin. Isn't it funny that we all know we're we're, we're fallen creatures who sin, yet we try to put up this front? Like, no, I'm good. It's kind of like, think about marriage. You get these two young people um, who, who get married and they think, man, as soon as I marry this person, everything's going to get better. What logic is that? You've got sinner A and sinner B now live together. But but you, you know when that begins to fix, when that begins to work, when that begins to be transformed is when they begin to, number one, accept each other right where they're at and begin to be God's love and mercy in that. And recognizing that they're just as much of a sinner as that other person. Might not look the same, but it is the same. And it's in community where God begins to transform that out of us. In fact, Scripture tells us a few times how to deal with it. It says, I think in your notes, I think I put several cross-references in there. That's just for your study if you want to. But in some places it says, uh, to love each other so deeply. And here's why I want you to love each other so deeply. Because the love that I want you to give, it covers, it heals, it transforms a multitude of sins. So the thing that stands between us, the sin that we might have that that really offends us is covered by love to bring us together. And the the interesting thing is in that bringing together, the sin begins to break away. It says that we should restore each other. So someone who has fallen deep into a sin that you would never do, uh, it says that we should restore each other not by preaching to them, but with great gentleness. Restoring them back into the community. James... Tells us that we've all heard the verse, right? Confess your sins one to another. It's not like some, some act that you set up and like, all right, it's confession time. But it's, it's this idea of living so transparent that you allow people to know the sin that you're struggling with because you know you can't get over it. You know you can't kill it. You know you can't change it. And here's what's interesting. Most people just quote that part, confess your sins one to another. But James adds, some, adds something to that. He says, when you confess your sins one to another, it says, you will be healed. It's almost like God is saying, hey, the way I want to help you get over your sin, because it kills our pride to do that. So it's probably part of the, you know, some motive somewhere in there. But it's almost like he's saying, hey, I want you to be so submitted, so transparent, so open to those who are around you so that they know the junk. I've I've got a friend who says this. I said this last week. He says, this is how he defines community. Very, uh, very educated to say it this way. He says, man, you're not in community until you're in each other's junk right? We don't like that. We try to create scenarios where people don't know our junk, where we come across as uh, everything's fine, I'm not wrestling with anything, but here's what I think God is saying. I want to fuse you guys together, which, which includes your junk, so much so that as you begin to confess, as you begin to talk, as you begin to live this stuff out, that it's through that that I will begin to heal you of the sin that haunts you. Do another Bonhoeffer quote. He says, those who remain alone in their evil are left utterly alone. It is possible that Christians may remain lonely in spite of daily worship together, prayer together, and all their community service. That the final breakthrough to community does not occur precisely because they enjoy community with one another as pious believers, rather because they enjoy community with one another as those lacking piety as sinners. And how true is that? I think when we become really transparent and we let other people into our lives, that God really begins to heal us of the sins that haunt us. And then finally, here's the last one. This isn't in Ecclesiastes, but I had to do it because this is the main reason for community. But community is God's plan to reveal his love to the world. That's that's how God wants to reveal himself. Peter tells us of so he, he's talking to the one of his churches and he says, hey, hey, this is what I want you to do. You're going to preach the message. Sure. Absolutely. You're going to preach it. But a lot of people are going to hear the message you preach and they're going to think, I want nothing to do with that. But here's my challenge to you. Peter says, I want you all to live like such a gospel centered community that those who may hate what you say still look in on you and say, that's what I want. I want to be accepted like that. I want to be healed of the things that I've never been healed of. I want to be loved like See, the Bible says that it's God's kindness that calls us to repentance. And I think, I just think, maybe if the world were to look in, those who don't know Christ were to look in and see a community that is is built on the values of love and kindness and gentleness and hope, that that's the gospel that would move them. That that's the gospel that would change them. One more quote by Charles Marshall, we'll close. He says this, The church is where we are formed to become the beloved community God uses to do his will in society. When Jesus says, follow me, he's inviting us to learn God's way of working in the world. He's also modeling for us the best way to invite others into the kingdom. Jesus invested his whole ministry in 12 men. Jesus invested God's love and authentic relationship with broken people who were created in God's image. He wanted to love a handful of people well and trust God to use that. He evangelized by loving broken people like they had never been loved before. To preach the gospel of Jesus today, we've got to invite people into authentic relationships where they can be restored to a beloved community and work for the common good. Let's pray.